And we begin with good day, sir. <laughs> Geeks come in all shapes and sizes, um, and that uh, they come into all kinds of things. <laughs> uh, I was thinking more about the satanic panic. By the scholar Gary Gygax. Well, wait, hold on. I said good day, sir. Not defending Roman slavery by any no, stretch, by but... God, that's bad. Let them vote. Fuck off. <laughs> when historians, and especially British historians, yeah. want to get cute... Oh, it's, it's in there. Uh, okay. it, it is not worth the journey. History of Time, where we connect nerdery to the real world. I'm Ed Blaylock. I'm a middle school world history teacher in Northern California and the father of a not quite two year old. Uh, Damien, who the heck are you? I'm Damien Harmony. I'm a high school Latin teacher who dabbles in world history nowadays. Uh, I'm the father of two, uh, a proud pug owner. Um, and uh, I, to my right is our new producer, Producer George. Say hi. Hello. All right. Well, that's George. That's George. Yeah, there you go. Uh, the the master of the mixing board, uh, who makes sure that <clears throat> I'm actually audible uh, more often in this season uh, than I was clearly in the old one. Oh, oh, sorry, sorry. Speaking up now. <laughs> yeah. All right. So there you go. And and if if not by manipulating the board by just telling me I need to speak up. There you go. Either way, it works. So you were audible last season. It just most of it was you slamming the table. Yes, yes, and and telling you good day, sir, and uh, generally getting angry <laughs> when you decided to mangle the English language, which admittedly has it coming. But there you go. Or when I brought up Don Henley being in Lord of the Rings. You heathen, heathen bastard. As my son would say, you're missing the fucking, fucking point. point. He heard that and oh, repeated it. Oh, I'm. I don't know if I'm sorry. I'm not. I was okay. I then. told him that's a home joke. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I'm glad to have had such a positive influence on your boy. Don't worry, it's coming back around to your kid. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. All right. So, as we mentioned in at the end of our last episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been wanting for a long time to talk about this topic. Uh-huh. It took us forever to get around to talking about Star Wars, which is remarkable. Yes. And now we're going to do it. Yes. Um, STDs in the Star Wars universe. No, that's one of yours. Oh, right. Right. No, this, okay. this is one of mine. Okay. Okay. Uh, the Jedi Order and counterculture. So it's kind of related because okay, midi-chlorians. Kind of, uh, midi-chlorians, yeah. Uh, or... Uh, my alternate title, uh-huh. How George Lucas Doesn't Understand Buddhism. <laughs> like, at all. So, my thesis here, I'm going yes. to open with the thesis rather than roundabout coming to it later. My thesis is that that Star Wars and the Jedi are essentially countercultural. Okay. Okay. It, it's, 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 in, it's in the DNA of the story. It's in the the concept of of what the Jedi were at the beginning of, of the of the franchise, because the 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 world that they live in is technological, and they're and they're mystical. The that's that's that. that's okay. part of that. Okay, that's part of it. Okay, I'm gonna get into more yeah, more oh, yeah, about yeah, yeah. it as we go on. That's 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 a that's a good starting point. All right, but uh, Lucas's misunderstanding of the spiritual roots of the philosophy he tried to create. Mm-hmm. Uh, led to the Jedi Order becoming an unintentional villain. I like this already. I knew you would. 
I knew you would. And we'll get there. Mm-hmm. You'll have your moment. Yes. But first, yes. let's talk about the original trilogy and counterculture. Okay. So Star Wars was released in May of 1977. Yes. I have never lived in a world that did not have Star Wars in it. Bite me. Yeah, both of you. You yeah. child. That year, Jimmy Carter was sworn in as president in January. Mm-hmm. He was elected in a vast national reaction to the Watergate scandal. Yes. Um... Uh, and the pardoning thereof. And the pardoning, yes, yes. Ford pardoning Nixon was was basically what got Carter elected. Yeah. Um, one of his first acts as president, it's it's kind of ties in very neatly with my thesis, was to pardon Vietnam draft dodgers. Yeah. He issued a blanket, essentially a blanket pardon to anybody who had who had dodged the draft. I love that. He pardoned people who decided not to go and kill other people in another country. Yeah. And people got angry at that. Yeah. This other president just before him pardoned the guy who wiped the wiped his ass with the Constitution. And yeah. people were like, well, fair is fair. Yeah, fair is fair. Yeah. Like, Yo, Jim. wow. I yeah, never I thought of that parallel. Yeah. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty remarkable. That's great. Yeah. Roots played on TV. Ooh. Uh, which marked a cultural shift in perception of the African-American experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it broadcast that oftentimes painful and ugly history into everybody's living room. Didn't matter. Yes. It wasn't, wasn't just African-Americans reliving their cultural history. It was everybody seeing all of that and mm-hmm. seeing how difficult and painful and traumatic that was. Yeah. Demonstrations were held in 10 cities across the U.S. calling for passage of a civil rights law for people with disabilities. This is in 1977. Wow. The ADA didn't get passed until 90. the first Bush administration. Yeah, I was going to say 91. 90, 90. 90, yeah, 1991. Uh, in December, mm-hmm. which is after Star Wars, but it's worth, worth noting here. Of 77? Of 77. In December of 77. Bite me. Project Have Blue made its first test flight. I've never Have, heard of this. Have Blue would eventually lead to the development of the F-117 stealth fighter. Oh. In the years immediately preceding mm-hmm. Star Wars, Nixon had achieved, quote-unquote, peace with honor in Vietnam, withdrawing <laughs> all U.S. troops in 1973. Right. Saigon fell the year I was born, 75. Right. And a set of scenes that played as chaos and massive U.S. failure mm-hmm. showed up on TV screens all over the world. Yes. Not just in the U.S., but all over the world. It was a massive, massive black eye. Even though we weren't actively fighting anymore, it was still perceived, rightly, as yeah. being a, a huge it was loss, loss. Yeah. for us. Well, and, and I mean, one of the most iconic pieces of that was when they choppered everybody over, they didn't have time or space to do anything other than push the chopper into the water. Yeah. And it was that pushing of the chopper into the water it really lent this, this air of impotence to our involvement over there. Yeah, it, you know? it, I, I, I would go differently than impotence. Mm-hmm. I, I think it showed the we're completely spent yeah. Not not so much impotent, but okay. just but just exhausted. Okay. Just we've we we have finally in fact been bled white okay. by this. Yeah. And it's and it's over. Like there there it was it was a defining metaphorical moment 
Yeah. For for the realization that no no this is just over. Yeah. There's no there is not going to be a surge. There is not going to be any any like we're done. Yeah. Whether we like it or not, we're done and we lost. Yeah. Um, and the other iconic scene from all of that is over the uh, embassy mm-hmm. in Hanoi with people desperately clamoring to get onto yeah. the helicopters to get chopper. out, to try to get away. Yep. And knowing that there was going to be a bloodbath, a, yes. a massive purge of anybody who'd been associated, affiliated with us, and there was not anything we could do. To protect for, those people. To protect those people who'd been left behind. I yeah. mean, it was just, yeah. it's Or to get those people out that we had promised. That we had promised to help. Yeah. yeah. So, and also, Watergate needs to be mentioned here again. Mm-hmm. Because it had basically proven the hippies were right about Nixon all along. <laughs> like, like yeah. the, the hippies and the counterculture, and I'm going to get into more detail about who the counterculture were, but sure. they, they had been saying since the late 60s mm-hmm. that you know the establishment was corrupt right the man was out to get everybody you know i mean not not quite going so far as to be straight up uh, uh conspiracy theorists but there was definitely this sense that like anybody don't trust anybody over 30 was right. a thing and you know anybody who's part of the esta- the establishment just couldn't be trusted right yeah and and, and, they're, and yeah they, they are out only for their own power and they're, yeah, like you yeah. said, not to and, be trusted. Yeah, and and so Watergate basically proved that they were right. Yeah. Like, even paranoids have genuine enemies. Yep. And the moment somebody who is paranoid figures out that they have a genuine enemy, it just fuels everything else. Yeah, it does. And and so, uh, you know, we've since discovered through interviews and released documents and all this stuff that, no, as a matter of fact, Nixon was an authoritarian. The people in his administration wanted to try to find a way to make it illegal to be against the war. They wanted to try mm-hmm. to find a way to make it illegal to be black. And so they started the war on drugs as yeah. a way of accomplishing that because those two goals weren't actually doable. Well, and, you know, and to, to go further, all of that was to keep him and his ilk in power. Like, oh yeah, that well, was, that yeah. was feeding the quote silent majority. And that was disfranchising cities. Cause that's yeah. where most African-Americans at the time lived. Um, and children. Well, in the well, coded students, language, coded yeah. language about law and order. Yeah. Uh, you know, su- suppression of young people. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, delegitimization kind of, of the delegitimization young. of them. Yeah. All, all of that. Luckily, and, we've learned. Yeah. Thankfully, we live mm. in a more enlightened era. Right. Um, None of this sounds familiar now. So now, having having set the stage for this is what the world looked like when Star Wars was made and when mm-hmm. it showed up on screens. Mm-hmm. What exactly do I mean by counterculture? It's an important point. Right. The movements against the Vietnam War and in support of broadening of civil rights for disenfranchised or marginalized communities in the U.S., mm-hmm. most especially the African-American civil rights movement, but then later the gay rights movement. Right. And like we saw disability rights and anybody right. anybody who was disenfranchised, oppressed, you know, however you want to say it, mm-hmm. uh, all of those movements kind of at once have all been identified by historians as being connected in a, in a very large overall movement against the dominant culture's mores and prejudices. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, and so the roots of the movement go back to the post-war beatniks and other groups who started talking about being rebellious, started talking about, you know, uh, uh, trying to reveal 
the emotional underbelly of, you know, the, on the surface, it looked all idyllic fifties and early sixties. Uh-huh. Um, you know, think of Howell. you know, I saw the best minds of my generation destroyed by madness, starving hysterical. Right. That was a shot across the bow. Right. To all of the leave it to beaver conventions of, of, of the culture and young people, mm-hmm. people younger than Kerouac. And I'm forgetting the other major Ginsburg poet, Ginsburg. Thank you. Sure. Uh, people younger than the two of them heard that and were like, oh, hey. So wait, you know, all of this stuff I'm experiencing that is my dad working too hard and right. never being home, my mom taking pills in order to deal with her own stress level and all this stuff and all this, all this rot that I'm experiencing that I'm being told, well, no, it doesn't really count. Don't worry about it. And everybody's trying to put on this brave face. Mm-hmm. No, somebody actually, there is somebody out there seeing the truth. Wait, that validates what I'm thinking. And, and that led to the hippies and the yippies. And, and the boomers mm-hmm. were the ones who, who picked up where the beatniks started. Right. And just largely thanks to demographics, once the boomer generation got largely into the counterculture, there was mm-hmm. no way the dominant culture could stop it. That's true. Because there were so just many. too goddamn many of them. Well, they'd made them. Yeah, they <laughs> Yeah. Oh, my God. I made the army that will yeah. destroy me. Well, and that gets um, to what we talked about last season about uh, being afraid of the kids. Yeah, being afraid of, of the youth. Yeah. yeah. And, and the hippies and the yippies and all the affiliated groups were the children of the dominant culture, white middle America, rebelling on a vast scale. And they were empowered by the burgeoning wealth of their sector of society. Mm-hmm. And they were afforded new freedom, most especially by the invention of birth control. Right. Okay. Uh, Previous anti-authoritarian movements had existed, but the counterculture that arose out of the 60s was special, like I said, because of sheer numbers. Mm -hmm. The boomers simply outnumbered all the other rebellious generations (laughs) that had come before, and they had been raised as the princes and princesses of Mm -hmm. the silence. Uh, who had lived through a depression in a world war and wanted to provide their children with everything they hadn't themselves had. Right. So you you have uh, this this generation that was was being raised again within within middle America within within the dominant culture. You have this this generation of the boomers mm-hmm. who were being raised with un, unfettered access to more resources than their parents had had, right. more opportunities, more entertainment options, more opportunities for all kinds of stuff than their parents had had. Mm-hmm. And so it shouldn't be any surprise that the resulting generation was one of activists who shouted really loudly about injustice, mm-hmm. but it was. It was shocking. It was scary. It was like, wait, what what are you making all this noise about? Right. I fought the fascists. Why are you calling me a fascist at the <laughs> dinner table? Like, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, at the same time, though, uh, the boomers, while they wanted to rebel, mm-hmm. they wanted to come back. Oh, yeah. They absolutely wanted to. And, I mean, history has proven it. But also, yeah. like, their ideas were, no, we're, we're going to do this because this is uh, this is okay for us to do safe to do yeah uh children are valued for one of the first times truly valued not yeah. just like hey we'll stop abusing them a little yeah but like actually valued they're being made in record numbers yeah tripled uh the the tripled the amount of kids in, or parents who had three three kids mm-hmm. quadrupled the amount of parents who had four kids during the baby boom and as i recall the baby boomers very much wanted 
all that same material wealth and success when they were older. Yeah. But for right now, we've got some rebelling to do. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, some right. it's existential in yeah. that, you know, we don't want the war. Yeah. Oh, but, well, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. So it's it's interesting. The parallel that occurred to me while I was while I was doing the research and writing this is uh, the Tiananmen generation in China. Mm. Because the government said you're only allowed to have one kid. Right. So everybody in China for a generation, unless you had the connections or, you know, the, the necessity, right. you, you only had one kid. And those children were raised again as the scions, right. the, the, the princes and princesses of, it's called the of their families. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, 20, this is 20 years after and the hippies. And because of male preference. Well, yeah, that, that, that gets into a, a whole other issue. I, yeah. I didn't, I didn't get to, but you know, these, these kids being raised as only children, of course, they're going to want more freedoms and of course they're going to want more material opportunity. But again, the dominant culture reacted with shock and mm-hmm. in their case, tanks and machine guns because China. Um, so this is kind of a thing. If you have a generation that you suddenly give all of this mm-hmm. money and, and privilege and, and everything to, you're going to wind up having rebellious young people. Like Tian- Tiananmen was 1989. Yeah. Kent State was 1970. Okay. Just pointing out that well, America went and killed its kids too. Uh, and I'm going to argue there's a scalar issue. There might be, but uh, yeah, well, the, the yeah. uprising scale as yeah. well. Yeah, well uh, so granted. it could be proportional. All right. But also uh, the, the Tiananmen Square was in some ways a threat to the state. Kent State was, was not. not. And the amount of adults who were interviewed after the fact saying, I'm glad they shot those kids. I hope they shoot more. Yeah. Was in the 60s and 70s percent. <sighs> yeah. Now True. that's that's also townies versus college folk. Yeah. But but there's and the there's... anti and the basic anti intellectual bias that we always have to deal with because we're America. Mm-hmm. So and also but, yeah. sit down, shut up, uh, and worship your country. Yeah. Because freedom. Yeah. But I would just like to point out, you yeah, know, Tiananmen Square. Yeah, that you're you're 100 percent right. But it's it's not like we didn't kill our own no. kids. Okay. Yeah. Point, point granted, point seated. So the counterculture, mm-hmm. very broadly, called for greater individual freedom of expression. Yes. Okay. I don't, I don't want to have to have the same haircut you have, dad. You know, um, I don't, I don't want to dress the way you, you dress. I don't want to, I don't want to be a robot wearing, you know, a gray suit, gray flannel suit. Which is the Beatles haircuts were considered Were long. considered like, oh my God, such long hair. Right. Like. Really? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, pacifism, uh-huh. expansion of civil rights, including racial and gender equality. Mm-hmm. Although by our standards today, the gender equality part had a lot to, a lot to catch up to. So the racial, but yeah. so the racial, but yeah, yeah I'm, there were you know, steps. There yeah. were absolutely steps uh, for their time. Growth of social justice and sexual liberation. Yes. It cast the dominant culture as being authoritarian. Mm-hmm. Again. Not wrong. We lived up to talking, it very talking well. about Nixon here. Not wrong. Yeah. Militaristic. Stifling, uptight, and unjust. Mm-hmm. It glorified rebellion with a smaller or a big one. Mm. Uh, Seeing something happen. Uh, the ideal of the individual following their bliss. Okay. And promulgated the idea that utopia could be achieved by everybody doing just that. If everybody was just free to follow their bliss, do what made them happy, 
wouldn't the world just wind up being perfect? Was was not ever like explicitly stated, but that was that was kind of the direction that that the movement was was pointed in. And and there is there is a little bit to that that it was explicit, or at least it was like you know we're trying to turn on, tune in, and drop out. Yeah. There were also be-ins. Yeah. The whole point of being there was to be. Yeah. So I mean, there there yeah, were. Yeah. You Yeah. The the the, the hippie war. Yeah. yeah. The, the hippie the hippie roots of you do you man. Mm-hmm. You know and. Um, now the, there was a growth, a notable growth in communes and alternative communities mm-hmm. during this time period, which had always existed, but a great many more of them sprang up in this time period for these very reasons. Same with dangerous ass cults. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, which, and when we're talking about alternative communities, that's like a subset of alternative yeah. <laughs> communities is crazy ass cults. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and also fetishization of the East. Yes. Which, getting to. On the way there, though, yes. I've got to take a second to talk about Joseph Campbell. Ooh. Because Joseph Campbell became a big deal to the counterculture. So did The Hobbit. This is true. Yeah. This is true. Yeah. Uh, which is, of course, a Campbellian mm-hmm. hero myth itself. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Joseph Campbell um, attracted a lot of attention from, from people within the counterculture, young people. Amongst them, a young George Lucas. He wrote in The Hero of a Thousand Faces about the universality of the human subconscious, mm-hmm. which is hippie peacenik talk, if ever there was. <laughs> he was the original proponent of the very phrase, following your bliss, that's taken from him. Oh. That's his, that's his okay. phrase that he coined in order to find spiritual fulfillment and personal actualization. Now, that's part of the hero's journey. Yeah. Yeah. Boomer catnip, this dude. Okay. <laughs> Um, along the way, he specifically described the hero's journey, the story arc that he discovered existed in every culture around the globe in one form or another. George Lucas latched onto that idea and consciously integrated it into the Star Wars story. I might be jumping ahead. Okay. Which I'll but, gladly jump back. Okay. Um, one of the most important catalyzing events in the hero's journey yes. is the death of the mentor. Yes. The death of the older. Yes. Boomers would have loved that shit. Oh, and parents would have freaked would out have about freaked that. Freaked the holy hell out about it. Yeah. Yes, didn't actually bring that up specifically, but okay. it is an important point yep. worthy of worthy of mentioning there. Now you talk about fetishization of the East. Yes, Buddhism also got a lot of attention from the baby boomers as an alternative to Christian churches that, to them, seemed way too tied to rigid morality, hierarchical authority. Hypocrisy. They're hypocrisy. They're yeah. too busy. They're too busy trying to tell me that, you know, I can't go out and make love, not war. You know. Right. Old, old, old ideas of of especially sexual morality, but morality across the board. Right. We're just like, no, why why are you obsessed with this? I you know, and 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 everything, you know, cut the butter square, mainline Protestantism was right. like this is what we're rebelling against. And so uh, Zen Buddhism became popular amongst the Beats in the 1950s. Okay. That was actually how Zen Buddhism got introduced to the United States. Uh, they, were inf- they were influences on the later countercultural movements of the 60s. Mm-hmm. Herman Hesse's novel Siddhartha uh, okay. was almost required reading for members of the boomer generation. <laughs> uh, my parents, of course, remember the 60s, so they weren't there, so they didn't read it, but... 
nearly everybody around him did. I know aunts and uncles of mine did. Sure. And concepts like karma, reincarnation, meditative practice, dharma. I mean, all all of these all of these terms that actually mean something in Buddhism. Right. Got picked up and watered down and adopted in ways that reflect their original meaning but aren't totally correct. What's the difference between that and appropriation? That's a really good question. Yeah. I genuinely, I think for me, Mm -hmm. appropriation has a certain amount of pantomime costume play to it. Okay. Look at me, look at me. I'm it's performative. I'm yeah. Whereas this was, no man, that's groovy. I like that. You know, and and it's I heard this thing that I think is really cool and I don't really understand all of it, but Mm -hmm. this nugget of what it is, I I think I think is worth something and I'm gonna I'm gonna try to build part of my personal philosophy around this. As a as opposed to um, that person over there has this hairstyle. That hairstyle looks cool. I want to look like that person, so I'm going to do that hairstyle. Okay. When I don't understand any of the underpinnings of what that hairstyle symbolically means. Right. Or, you know, I think it looks cool to wear an Indian headdress when I'm, you know, a 20-something model and I'm going to a music festival, so mm-hmm. I'm going to wear it and, like, whatever. No, man. That's that a ritual. So That's a like ritual... Well, a little bit, yeah. yeah. Like you, you, you know, look at yeah. pictures of of beings, and you see a lot of like, "Hey, I'm tribal." Or, oh yeah, no, there I was mean, there there the was musical hair. They called themselves the tribe. You know, yeah, you had there there was you know bringing that up. Mm-hmm. It's worth pointing out with modern mm-hmm. concepts of all this stuff. There was a lot of appropriation going on. Okay, um, and I'm not trying to make excuses for for the no, hippies yeah, yeah. in that regard. It wasn't. It wasn't actually something that had occurred to me when I was writing about it. Mm-hmm. But you are. You do bring up a meaningful point. There was. There. There is. There is at the very least a whiff of appropriation involved in this. Right. And I think there are some areas where we can point at it and go, yeah, no, that 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 was totally not cool. And this over here, well, maybe there's a shade. I mean, there's nuance to it. Sure. Um. But so so these these ideas out of Buddhism, these mm-hmm. these Buddhist concepts, became part of the background noise of the era. Yeah, I mean the okay. the Beatles actually sang "Instant Karma is going to get you." Or yeah, that might have been a John Lennon song specifically. Well, but, yeah, yeah, but um, but prior yeah. to that, they were doing sitar and well, like, yeah, all oh, the yeah, stuff George yeah. Harrison was doing. Yeah, all, all the stuff George Harrison yeah. was doing. They they wound up going going and. Maharishi. Getting getting pulled into Maharishi Mahashyogi mm-hmm. and all that stuff, and yeah. And so now, you know, talking about these ideas being being picked up and kind of kind of blended in in the sense of of you know the mechanical thing with the blades right. whipping things being blended into uh, the rest of, of the of the zitgeist, this leads. I want to talk about the impact of counterculture on cinema. Okay, because we're we're coming around. We're getting there. Uh, the Hayes Code. Uh, which we mentioned in kind of in passing when we were in the very first episode when we talked about the, the Comics CCA. Code Authority, CCA, yeah. got abandoned entirely in 1968. Right. Now, it, it had kind of been on the way out for a long time. There had been a bunch of movies that had been made that had not adhered to the Hayes Code, and they'd gotten away with it. Right. But finally, in 68, everybody that was involved just said, you know what, we give up. We're not, we're not going to keep trying to police this stuff anymore. 
And the MPAA instituted its rating system right. in place of the code. And again, this is a self-governing body, correct? Yes, yes. Yeah. No legislation ever involved. That's why they're trying. That's, that's why they're, trying, why they're yeah. trying, to, trying to make sure nobody passes any laws. And this opened up whole new frontiers mm-hmm. of expression for American filmmakers who wanted to get access to studio money. Okay. And so movies in the 70s mm-hmm. across the board mm-hmm. became sexier, became more violent, became more frank in their depictions of authority. They became more rebellious, and they were simultaneously, across the board, generally darker. They were also, as I recall, becoming greater express. Like, it used to be the studio would hire certain directors to do certain things. You know, this is a John Ford movie. This is yeah. a Howard Hawks movie. Yeah. Uh, but uh, at this point, you've got auteur to the extreme. Yeah. This, is, this is the era of the auteur. Yeah. This is the beginning of the era of the auteur. Correct. Which had its um, own dark underbelly which, that we didn't, oh, know, yeah, we didn't know about until, yeah. yeah. Uh, but the, the sanitized version of reality that had been pushed by the Hayes Code was no longer the only one that could get made in the studio system. Right. You, you, so you started, seeing, you started seeing stories where authority was, like the counterculture said, not sure. to be trusted. And you start seeing Bonnie and Clyde, mm, that's which right. is, I mean, is let's talk about and bloody. hyper-violent. Yes. Certainly for the era, by, but also by modern, by, but also yes, by modern standards, it's not no. that much to write home about. But based on when it was made, it was yeah. my God, the horror, the Graduate, hmm. yeah. which which let's let's talk about rebellious against authority. Let's talk about you know Fuck pointing out hypocrisy. Man. You know, yeah. Uh, wait, <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there, <laughs> and Dog Day Afternoon. Oh well, if you're gonna do Dog Day Afternoon, you got to go back to Godfather. Well, yeah. Okay, and Godfather, the the where Sonny gets killed. Yeah. And also a little bit earlier, where uh, Sonny beats the shit out of ketchup. Was yeah, <laughs> where uh, Sonny beats the shit out of Carlo. Yeah. Uh, and even back a little further, the scene where Carlo beats the shit out of uh, Talia Shire, Connie. Yeah. Um, it's done almost all off screen except for this door that's going, and you're in the doorway. It's clearly meant to put you there, and you hear the screaming and all that. Way more explicit. Oh yeah, way more explicit. Way so you're more. Explicit. Absolutely right. Yeah, and and uh, worth worth noting in Dog Day Afternoon mm-hmm. is that uh, it uh, very explicitly involved mm-hmm. uh, one of the main character being a closeted homosexual. Yes. Which, like, no, you don't no, talk about those things. You don't. You don't talk about those yeah. things now. No, no, we're talking about it, and it's a critical plot point. Yes. Like so, so this is this is a huge, huge, a huge shift, shift in the landscape completely. And the people who are in charge of the studio, yeah, are now the children of the original studio creators. Quite yeah. often, yeah. Um, I think Daryl Zanuck's kid. I know mm-hmm. that Alan Ladd Jr. Yeah, he's the one who ends up greenlighting Star Wars. Yeah, um, and fighting the studio and the board of yeah. directors. He, end, he ends up quitting over it. Yeah, um, you, you've got that going on. So you've got people who don't have the same values as the studio. And they've realized that um, they need to make big movies to pay for the little movies. But there's like this yeah. appreciation of art, and you start to see black exploitation film. Ah, uh, yeah. You know, this you is, are yeah. you are seeing so much. You, you're seeing so much more um, accessibility to making films, and so much In more general. representation on films. Yeah. That yeah. And so now I need to shift sideways again to talk sure. about 
foreign cinema mm-hmm. and the influence of foreign cinema. Okay. Um, I, I have a feeling I know where you're going to go with this. Okay. We'll um, see. I'm going we'll see to if write right. down a word okay. and, and show it to our producer, George. Okay. And uh, and he will laugh at me if, if I'm right. Okay. So go ahead. All right. So foreign cinema started to influence American film more directly mm-hmm. thanks to the counterculture because they were looking at sources outside of traditional storytelling, st- traditional Western storytelling. Sure. Kurosawa in particular. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, we, I mean, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how, how, like, like, where's, where's the neon? It's Star Wars. It's Ed, it's Star Wars. It's, it's yeah. yeah. So Kurosawa had, had a really powerful influence on George Lucas. Mm-hmm. If we were, another time, mm-hmm. in another episode, a cinematographic analysis of uh, their work Mm-hmm. Would would make the 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 influence oh unavoidably obvious. I grew up with my dad saying that George Lucas only ripped off Kurosawa, like just shot for shot for shot yeah, for oh, shot. Yeah, and there's so much where he has quite the leg to stand on. Oh yeah, yeah. It, totally. Um, yeah, we, as, as I say here, uh, cinematographic analysis of their work would make a longer treatise than we have time for in this podcast. Hmm. But the influence of Kurosawa on Lucas is as obvious as Ford and Peckinpah's influence on Kurosawa. Which it's west worth to noting. Yes, yeah, it's worth. It's my favorite phrase. It's worth noting that <laughs> um, the the genre of film that I'm talking about here is Jidaigeki. Which is sam- samurai movies. Okay. Okay. Of a, of a particular kind. And they are themselves the Japanese adaptation of our westerns. And we, okay. can, we can get into talking thematically how that works. But uh, most directly influential on Star Wars in Kurosawa was, is, is Kurosawa's film The Hidden Fortress. Yes. Okay. Which involves a tall, skinny guy and a short, fat guy. Mm hmm. Getting caught up in the struggles of a an exiled princess mm-hmm. whose family's territory has been conquered by a cruel warlord, a mysterious canny wanderer who turns out to be a retired samurai general, comes to her aid, and the evil warlord is defeated in the end. Does that sound familiar to anybody else at the table here? At yeah, all? it does. Let me think. Um, Harry Potter. Good try. Okay, but wait, no. wait. Let me, uh, the Hobbit. Yes. 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 As a matter of fact, yeah. No, th- there's there's this whole genre. Oh my god, I hadn't thought of that, but <laughs> no, I still don't see it. So, <laughs> but there's there's a whole genre of wandering Ronin mm-hmm. films mm-hmm. in Japanese cinema. It's it's like I said, they're equivalent of our westerns. It's called Jidai Geki. I already mm-hmm. I already used the word a second ago. And if you're a Western director who's been influenced by Japanese films, it's going to play a major role because okay. it's, it's, it's a huge, big thing. The stories center around wandering Ronin, fighting bandits, resisting oppressive local lords, and generally committing acts of armed knight errantry during the Edo period of Japanese history. Okay. They are almost all of them mm-hmm. set during the Edo period. Okay, and that, that's, which, again, which, our Westerns are set in a specific in, in, time, in a too. Specific, in a specific yeah. time period. And, and it's, it's, it's important that, that I point out that it's the Edo period because that was a period of rigid mm-hmm. governmental control over society. Mm-hmm. It was a military dictatorship. Mm-hmm. 
And these stories are about wandering swordsmen who are fighting very frequently against corrupt local authorities. Okay. So they are countercultural. Okay. Okay. Certainly to a Western viewer who's going to look at this, okay. they're going to yeah. say, okay, no, man, this is speaking my language. I'm, right. I'm, I'm a baby boomer who thinks the individual is following you know, his bliss. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Following, following his own individual moral code, right. you know. The amount of people who are hitchhiking at that time, by the way, is actually startlingly high. Uh, women could mm. go hitchhike on their own across the United States. That is a faster version of what you see with the wandering heroes. This is true. Yeah. So, That's a good point. And uh, Jack Kerouac wrote a book called On the Road. On the Road. So, yeah, yeah this is all... Okay. Yeah. Um, these films are a romanticization of mm -hmm. both the Ronin themselves and right. of the Edo period in precisely the same way that Westerns are a romanticiz romanticization of mm -hmm. cowboys and gunslingers in the Old West. Jedi Geki. Jedi. Yeah, I was going to say, you're he, saying he that couldn't, a lot. Yeah. He, he couldn't have been any more obvious about where he's getting his sources. For anybody who knows anything about right. foreign cinema, it was like, ah. Uh, right. Okay. Now, was he saying, hey, this is an homage, or was he just appropriating? He, he I don't know. And that might be I, a false dichotomy. Honestly, dichotic, that might be, false, might be a false, false dilemma, but yeah. I, I genuinely don't know. Okay. Um, I, I think... It was probably an homage. It was probably an Easter egg for anybody who was knowledgeable enough about it. Okay. That's my assumption, but I could totally be wrong. Uh, there have been plenty of other places where Lucas has proven to not be as brilliant as we all want to think he is. Right. But uh, so Star Wars was countercultural mm -hmm. because authority was corrupt, evil, and oppressive. Yes. The rebellion was motivated by a dedication to freedom for individual Sofont rights. Yeah. Okay. The rebellion was multi-species and sexually egalitarian. The yeah. empire was all white human dudes in Nazi-coded uniforms. Yeah. The central conflict was ultimately spiritual, with a spiritual force being the deciding factor in the destruction of the Death Star mm -hmm. and ultimately the second Death Star and the defeat of the empire. And, and even though the leaders themselves were not of that religion, they would very often say, may the force, may be, the with force you. be with you. Yeah. Now, finally, we get to the Jedi themselves. Mm -hmm. Jedi Knights in the first movie, episode four, because, right. you know, Lucas, are described as guardians of peace and justice in the Old Republic. Mm -hmm. We know that they fought in something called the Clone Wars, and they carried the coolest sci-fi weapon ever conceived of. I will fight you on this. No, you have no argument for me on this. Okay. Uh, we know that they have a connection to the Force, mm -hmm. and that their connection to it made them peerless warriors. Yes. Okay. So far... A more civilized weapon for a more, a more civilized Yes, time. yes. So far, this is textbook wandering swordsman shtick from Japan. Yeah. Complete okay. with the sword. Yeah, yeah, taken straight and out of Jedi Gang. By the way, the sword looks very katana-y. Oh, yeah. It's not curvy, but, but it's it, called it, a saber. Yeah. Weirdly. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Yeah. This is totally cribbed out of Jedi Geki. Mm -hmm. Substitute Zen Buddhism for the Force, swap lightsabers out for katana, and you're there. Yeah. Okay. In episode four... Shit. Oh, my God. His name is Obi-Wan. They wore an Obi. Obi. Yeah. 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 In episode four, that's essentially all we know. That's true. 
Uh, the Jedi are, as far as we know, wandering knights errant who have access to wizard ninja trickery mm-hmm. and can achieve superhuman feats of skill thanks to their connection to the Force. And that's it. There's no other backstory. There's that's only true. the one movie in yeah. which to explain. So there's there's nothing else there. And there's a guy who pulls a, uh, a gun and he pulls the sword and the yeah. sword wins. Yes. Yeah. Now, um, I need I need here to mention Splinter of the Mind's Eye. Oh, God. Why? Why, oh, God? Because it's incest. Well, yes. Yeah. Thanks to it being written before canon had been settled about the fact that they were brother and sister. Right. So, yes, it has that problem. However, however. You just, yes, however, incest. Yeah, I know. Okay. I know. But not not the issue of incest. But, right. But the other point. Just the depiction of it but the other, But the other, the other point. I, yeah. <laughs> The other point I want to make yes. is, uh, first off, that that is squick-inducing. And it was squick-inducing enough that I have essentially found a way to compartmentalize <laughs> those issues from everything else about the novel. Sure. And having compartmentalized that issue, um, this is another I will fight you. Okay. I, I am genuinely not certain if it's, again, compartmentalizing that one issue. Mm-hmm. Merely a great Star Wars novel or the greatest Star Wars novel that has been written. Yeah, you're going to have to fight me because I have all of the pre-Disney Star Wars novels. Yeah, I know. And, and I've and, read them all and, a number and, yeah, of times. And, and, and uh, Sturgeon's Law applies. 90% of them are crap, but the 10% that are worth, that, that are worth it are worth fighting for. I'm going to fight you on the 90%. 90%. Yeah, well, no, it's more like 65% of crap. All right. Well, mm-hmm. we're, we're going we're yeah. gonna, to... Gonna, because okay. there's some people that really don't like the Yuzhan Vong, and so I'm willing to let that be the fuzzy part in the middle. Okay. I think it's brilliant. Mm. My favorite book comes yeah. out of it, but... Okay. All right. Okay. So here's the deal. Sure. Uh, in, in that book... Mm-hmm. Splinter of the Mind's the, Eye. Splinter of the Mind's Eye. Okay. The depiction of the Jedi... Mm-hmm is uh, the, the comparison is, is well, not comparison. The depiction of, of what the Jedi is, what Luke's concept of what the Jedi were, mm-hmm. is they were Knights Templar. He, he, it, okay. is, it, is, it is, you're a wandering swordsman right. with wizardry, and now we're going to up the amount of wizardry you're learning thanks to this situation that you're in. Right. But it was... Um, it, it was written, you know, to capitalize on the success of the first movie while the second movie was still being written. Okay. Um, and, and there's no, we still don't have the Jedi code, mm-hmm. but the, the wandering swordsman aspects are all there and, and, That's true. you know, a whole lot of stuff in the story has been overtaken by other canon since. Right. But it it really gave a very clear idea and as a historical document mm-hmm. in the development of canon it's really important because it gave a cl- very clear idea of what it is that everybody who was writing these stories still thought the jedi were true very okay? true and it is a wonderful snapshot in time <clears throat> of that exact thing yeah now now we get to empire mhm yoda shows up and the jedi get more codified right 
there's an accepted training methodology that apparently starts in youth somewhere. He just says he's too yeah. young. We don't know. He's too old. We, he's too old. Sorry. He's, too, he's, he's right. too old to be trained. You know, so, okay, well, before 18. So, right. clearly. Uh, the Jedi Code shows up for the first time. Mm-hmm. And under that, I have multiple bullet points. There's a really heavy emphasis on non-attachment. Action being free of emotion. Yep. There is no emotion. There is peace. Mm-hmm. Is is the line out of the code. Now, that Jedi Code is not in the movie. No. It is not film canon. Okay. So it shows up in a novelization of the movie? Okay. Or where does it show? I'm asking. Uh, it's it's novelization of the film. Okay. Um, anger and fear are explicitly in the film linked to they the are. dark side. They are. And, and you will know when you are calm at peace. All yeah. of that's there. Yeah. You're right. And light side and dark side have a distinct moral element attached to them. True. Light side good, dark side bad. Right. Even more so than in the first movie, because it was mentioned that Darth yeah, Vader, right. that Darth Vader is a master of the dark side of the force. Yep. Only a master of evil, though. Only a master of evil. And so there was this, you know, light side good, dark side bad. But now Yoda doubles down on that. Oh yeah. You know, hatred, fear, anger, all of these, the dark side are they. Right. And, you know, you need to stay on the on the light side. And the light side isn't joy. The light side isn't love. The light side isn't compassion. Right. The light side is peace. And sacrifice your friends. Well, yeah. Let them yes. die. Yes. Jedi are now more monastic in character. Mm-hmm. Well, and Yoda is a hermit. Yoda is a hermit. Wars do not make one great. Very which pacifistic. sounds a little odd for a group defined by their skill with blazing space katana. True, true, and their thing is called the force. The f- yeah. force itself is is an expression of well, power. force. Yeah, yeah. power. Th- um, there is, uh, I put this down in my notes twice. The codification of the light side of the force versus the dark side of the force. They are in. They're they're shown as being in opposition to each other. They're described right. as being in opposition to each other and mutually exclusive. And mutually exclusive. Because once you start down that dark path, forever will it dominate, dominate your, your destiny. destiny. Yoda tries to make Luke understand he must master himself yep. before he can defeat an external enemy. And also throw off everything that you used to know, including and, yeah. all the shit you learned from your Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru. You must yeah. unlearn you what must you have unlearn learned. unlearn everything. It is my concerted opinion mm-hmm. that this is the first misstep Lucas made in the codification of the Jedi Code, and it is here that the Jedi start the change from countercultural wandering heroes to... Mm-hmm. I really don't know what. So okay. Is it the separation of the light and the dark that you're talking about? It's 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 separation of light and dark. Okay. It is the the moral weight suddenly being thrown on the on the difference mm. between light side and dark okay. side. It is the change to this weight. All of a sudden, there's this monasticism element involved. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, it's it's. Um, we carry lightsabers, but we're supposed to be peaceful and at peace and calm. And like, and instead of that, there's being... all this weird, junky, like, yeah, dichotomy, weird kind of thing going on. And it's, it's very, again, this is this and that's that. Instead of a blending of it, instead of a duality within each of us, yeah, instead of the yin and the yang, yes, because okay, because Buddhism. Mm-hmm. That's actually what I have written here because Buddhism, <laughs> and I gotta I gotta talk a little bit about Buddhism just in case people in sure. our audience aren't familiar with the history 
What's up? And Well, I was just going to say, and a, a great time to talk about Buddhism would be after we shill products for other people. Since we're yes. talking about non-attachment. We're talking about non-attachment. We need to show the level of attachment we have yes. to making a living. Exactly. There you go. So uh, we will catch you all on the other side of the break. Uh, and you'll feel wonderfully refreshed by all of the wonderful products that we show for you. And remember, yes. if you yes. want us to show for you, uh, we are happy to. There are very few things that we're not willing to show. Uh, it just has to be something that either of us could find marginally interesting or useful. Yeah, that so, we could that we could get behind uh, supporting yeah. somebody so buying. Find our out. find our contact information at the end of this episode. There uh, you go. Otherwise, we'll see you at the other side of this break. Hey, Geek Nation, Ed here. And Damien. Damien, yeah. you in the market for a new book? What? You know what? I am. All right. Well, I got I got a series to recommend to you. Oh, that's fantastic. You know what? I would love to read a book about like Irish folklore and Celtic folklore, but set in an urban setting in America. You got anything? Wow, that's not at all artfully set up. But <laughs> I do, as a matter of fact, have something for you. The American Fairy Tale Trilogy by Bishop O'Connell starts with The Stolen. Mm-hmm. The second volume is The Forgotten. The final that's okay. volume is is the return. You'll remember the second volume later. You punning son of a bitch. No, that's... The title is The Forgotten. The, the, which is fine, because I'm sure they could find it on Amazon and they would actually find the title without having to rely on your batty memory. Good day, sir. And on that note, back to the show. sweet ad that was that was some of your best work and yours thank you for that matter so so buddhism back to buddhism now that we've now that we've shilled material things i need to talk about non-attachment to material desires now do you think that george lucas's love of buddhism comes from uh his uh creation of the movie uh american graffiti there was a character who was on roller skates named buddha so i'm wondering if he just had a crush on the gal who played shirley he might have Okay. He might have. Um, but for the purposes of what we're talking about here, because that came out of left field, and I have no, I have, I have no skill set for responding to that effectively right now. Um, for those who don't know, Buddhism was born in what is today northern India sometime between the 6th and 4th centuries BC. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an ancient, highly nuanced, rich spiritual tradition with a literal millennia of philosophy and established orthodoxy. Uh, but I'm going to oversimplify it for purposes of what we're talking about here. So this is a quick and dirty, uh, yada, but, yada, but, yada. but attempt at being respectful oversimplification. Buddhism is centered on spiritual practice to escape from the cycle of death and rebirth. Mm-hmm. The four noble truths, the foundations of Buddhist practice mm-hmm. and belief, are that life is suffering. Okay. Suffering is caused by desire. And anyone who says differently is selling something. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Dread Pirate Roberts. Suffering is temporary, as okay. all things are, mm-hmm. and we can escape suffering by following the Eightfold Path. Okay? Okay, so four precepts, Eightfold Path. Correct. Got it. Now, non-attachment, which okay. is huge deal to the Jedi. Yes. Central, central tenet of the Jedi Code. Non-attachment, no, there is no emotion, there is peace, I'm not, I don't have right. attachments to anything. It, it is a critical aspect of Buddhist spirituality. One has to reach a state of freedom from desire mm-hmm. in order to achieve nirvana, which is escape from reincarnation. 
Right. Okay, You're on this wheel of reincarnation. Yeah. You keep coming back because you ain't getting yeah. it right or because you need to learn more. Yeah. In order to not want anything, you have to not be attached to anything. Right. Widely believed in the Buddhist world that to really make progress toward nirvana, one should live a monastic life separating oneself from the corrupting influence of the world. But Isn't not asceticism either. Right? Because there's that whole thing about if you play the note with the thing too tight... Yeah. You break your string, but if you play yeah. it too loose, you don't get any music. And yes. he, he realized that... The middle the middle path. The middle path. Uh, because the Gautama Buddha first tried to become an ascetic to 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 find enlightenment right. through sheer asceticism. Which was a tradition which in that was, place. Which was a tradition in that place yeah. and time, and he realized that wasn't working. Mm-hmm. And he had grown up being a prince, being surrounded by, you know, never, all the never, yeah. never suffering, having all the amenities. And he realized that was never going to lead to... Uh, enlightenment. Uh, enlightenment either, and so mm-hmm. he sat down underneath the ginkgo tree, and uh, eventually had had the realization that the secret was the middle way, right? Which is the eightfold path is the definition of how to achieve the middle way. Mm-hmm. Um, and the eightfold path is right views, right intention, right speech, right livelihood. That last one's that one, the fourth one there I just mentioned is important. We're going to come back to it in a second. Right effort, mm-hmm. right mindfulness, right thought, and right understanding. Some of these feel overlappy, and I know they, that there's probably there, a language thing. There's 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 translation from Sanskrit into English involved. Okay. Um, basically, what it comes down to is your head has to be in the right place. Your actions have to be the right actions coming from the right place. Ooh. There's a thing in one of the books there's that talks mo- about there's, that. There's motivation. Motivation is, is key. You right. have to be doing the right thing for the right reasons because if you're doing the right thing for the wrong reasons, you're still bound up in desires. And well, you know, when Luke talks to his son Ben, and yeah. okay, so this is uh, no longer canon. Legends. Be- yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, but when he's talking to his son Ben about how to go about things, he has this little lecture that he gives him. And he says, your intention doesn't matter. The result doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is the action. Which sits a little closer uh, to that. Yeah. And, and yeah. he's, you know, and, yeah. and if you think about what, you know, the, the it, and keep in mind, this is uh, an author taking on the... The Jedi Code. Jedi Code. Yeah. That George Lucas inspired in other authors, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. But I, I do think it's interesting that you had just brought something like that up. Like it's clearly there is someone's going back to source material and going, Oh yeah. no, no, let's, let's yeah. nuance this a little yeah. bit better. So, mm-hmm. so universal love and compassion are laced throughout oh. all of the facets of the eightfold path. God, this, this is also so painfully similar to what Anakin tells Padme while he's trying to seduce her in episode two. Remind me, which which attachment is forbidden, Mm -hmm. but we Jedi are are bound to love, and Mm -hmm. so some might say that we have to love. Oh yeah, and so he's like, you know, so it's okay that I'm I'm checking you out while we're pretending to be refugees, even though like we have our own droid. Um, And then he also (laughs) talks about how like you know again attachment is forbidden. um, About how uh, and 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 you get a lot of exposition through Anakin. Yeah. That seems to be Lucas 
having read a book finally about it. Trying, and trying to figure to out how to retcon and fix what right. he, what he, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but he, he, he still managed to bollocks it mm. like completely because, because there's a whole lot of other context that he's mm-hmm. still missing. Mm-hmm. Um, so one, one has to strive not to harm others and, and further one has a moral duty to help others who are suffering. Okay. Okay. Uh, that is part of right action. That is part of right intention. Mm-hmm. Is is to reduce the overall amount of suffering being experienced by people in the world. Okay. Right. Now, Buddhism spread from India through China mm-hmm. during the northern and southern Zhou dynasties. Um, Time frame. Um, well, we're talking about it ends with the Tang Dynasty in 618 A.D. Okay. So we're talking about fourth uh, and fifth centuries okay, A.D. Okay. A.D. So okay. it started. BC, now we're in AD, BCE, or right. now CE. Yeah. It had, by the by the Tang Dynasty, it had become the dominant philosophical force in Chinese culture and government, having usurped the place of Confucianism and Taoism. Okay. Okay. Confucianism had ruled the roost for forever. Taoism had been the kind of background noise behind Confucianism. Right. Buddhism showed up and said, no, no, Confucianism has not worked. You've lived through hundreds of years of an unending warfare. And so now I'm going to tell you how you can escape all the suffering that you've that you've been undergoing, and people and Buddhism sounds especially out. good to a peasant. Yeah. Now martial arts, uh-huh. ironically, are really tied very heavily in with Buddhism, mm-hmm. with the Shaolin Temple in Henan Province being the birthplace of a you know the best known school of Wushu. Songsheng Mountain Range. Yes, and it is the home of Chan Buddhism, mm-hmm. which uh, got carried to Japan. And became the rootstock for Zen, Zen Buddhism. Buddhism. Right. Zen, in turn, mm-hmm. grew to become the Buddhism of the samurai, in quotes around that phrase. Okay. And Zen philosophy deeply informs Japanese martial arts. All right. Japanese archery. Right. Any sword art you study, there's going to be part of part of your training is going to involve ideas out of Zen Buddhism about... Not thinking in the moment, not getting bound up mm-hmm. in 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 conscious thought, reacting without right. You know, Be Qui Gon Jinning. Yeah, basically, yeah. Now I have a question for okay. you. Um, that number one, Qui Gon Jinn, uh, yeah, very Asi- Asiatic inspired name. Yeah. Um, but my question is more this: Zen Buddhism, as yeah. you understand it, is there an emphasis on linear? on a line of some sort on a a leads to b leads to c or this is the path no now, not in the same way that Taoism has the path but is there is there anything where it is again there's there's a i don't want to say a narrowness but that there is a a a path that you need to walk and if you stray from that path you're not doing zen no okay not, not. Okay. I mean, individual traditions within Zen, mm-hmm. different lineages of yeah, teaching might might have that, but okay. what about over overall, it's not a core part of Zen. Okay. In, in Shinto, is there that? No. Okay. No, Shinto is Japanese animism. Okay. Which, remarkably enough, was one of the few Eastern philosophies that didn't somehow get swallowed up into <laughs> everything in the counterculture. Sure. Sure. Okay. Um, so. All, all of this brings us back around to Jidai Geki. Sure. Because the wandering swordsmen who are the heroes of those stories right. are all molded by Zen. 
Right. They're all molded by Zen Buddhism. They're all steeped in Zen Buddhism. Uh-huh. Uh, Chan and then Zen Buddhism are themselves influenced by Taoism. Okay. Okay. Uh, basically, if you take uh, Mahayana Buddhism mm-hmm. and you throw Taoism at it, okay. what breaks off is Chan Buddhism. Chan Buddhism. Is, is okay. maybe an imperfect analogy, but that's, that's kind of the metaphor sure. I'm going to use. All three of them become really hard to explain succinctly because mm-hmm. there's a lot of there's a lot of unspoken or, or, or ineffable. A big part of Taoism is the idea that Taoism itself, the Tao, is ineffable. And you, right. can't, you cannot speak of the Tao. So to try to explain what Taoism is is almost impossible. But right. a short, broad description would be to say that Zen teaches enlightenment comes in a single brilliant moment of egoless understanding. Okay. When you achieve extinction of yourself, right? Your self awareness, your your ego disappears. The illusion of your separation from the from, nirvana from nirvana is, yeah. is broken. Very good. Yeah. Uh, to reach that moment, I have baby boomer parents. Yeah. Okay. There you so. go. Yeah. So do I. But again, mine weren't there for the sixties. Oh, mine so, were so. very much there for <laughs> <Okay>. the sixties. <laughs> yeah. Zen practitioners. Mm-hmm. meditate and work to empty their minds of thought. Zen meditation right. is I'm, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to become thoughtless. Like right. not I'm going to flake on somebody's birthday, but <laughs> like, no, I am literally going to empty my head completely of any kind of conscious thought. I'm going to be. Yeah. I'm just simply going to be without ego. Uh, in samurai philosophy, mm-hmm. warriors sought to train and focus to a point that their actions came from a nonverbal reactive state of mind, divorced from any kind of thought, conscious thought, any kind of emotion. Okay. <clears throat> Attachment to life itself would lead to hesitation in battle, which would lead to death. Okay, so there's almost a layer of perfection of the <clears throat> soul. Uh, In a way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah. You know, very ham-fisted, but... Through... through Constant practice, constant refinement. One right. can get closer and closer and closer to achieving that state of egolessness that one needs to be in for in, for enlightenment. Right. Okay. For for some for some samurai characters who are really devout uh-huh. in quotes, uh, Zen types. There's this idea that you know if I if I just do this enough, I can eventually cut my way to enlightenment mm-hmm. by just you know perf- if I if I perfect. My sword stroke as my, stroke as my as my right. meditative thing. Right. That'll be my version of what a monk is doing when he's sitting there perfectly still, not sure. doing anything. Um, only by forgetting oneself entirely and focusing beyond conscious thought on the moment can one guarantee victory and enlightenment simultaneously. So it's a warriorization co-opting of a peaceful philosophy. Yes. 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 Now, to a Western film student mm-hmm. watching the genre of sword westerns that came out of this culture, mm-hmm. it looks like super fast, deadly warriors who have a spiritual belief system that makes them utterly fearless in the face of death. Which Jedi and okay. the Japanese movies? I I presume the uh, main characters are, with the exception of Toshiro Mifune, uh, are largely um, stone faced. Are largely um, What's the word I'm looking for? There's a placid countenance there's, to what they're doing. There's, there's or... eyes, eyes like flint. Yes. 
Um, it kind of depends. Stoic. It, yeah, stoicism. There is there is a lot of stoicism, even Toshiro Mifune. Mm-hmm. It's stoicism, but behind that stoicism is is a oh, raging a is a raging firing. wildfire yeah. of, of passion behind it. Right, which is part of the reason he's so goddamn brilliant. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So so there is because it's it's a central facet of, of Japanese culture is mm-hmm. this idea of outwardly you are serene. Right. Is the thing anyway. Extend that sp- the spiritual elements of all of that out into Buck Rogers' space magic territory, and you have the Jedi. That's, sure. That's what this is. Uh, as they were first roughly sketched out in the first movie. Mm-hmm. But then Lucas had to expand that whiz-bang out into a fully-fleshed cosmology, and he pasted in what he understood of Buddhism, made that the Jedi Code, made that the basis of the Jedi Order, and called it good in Empire. Okay. Mm-hmm. But he missed some really critical points. Um, the wandering samurai of Jidai Geki are noble mm-hmm. in, in, in their way, but they're also world-weary, hard-eyed, and cynical. Right. And, and they are this way because they're Buddhists who kill for a living... Right. And they know that they're violating the critical Buddhist principle of Don't right livelihood. People. Yeah. Okay, one, one, like, it's right there in the Eightfold Path, and they, and they, and they are aware of that. It is, right. it is a central part of the theme of the stories, is that they get sucked into these adventures because that part of them right. that is noble wants to help the young lovers escape, mm-hmm. wants to help the locals overthrow their tyrannical overlord, is wants somehow to do all attached. these things. Yeah, because yeah. because they they want to fix that they yeah. they they yearn to to get away from the fact that they know that they are inherently doing sinful things. Okay, if that makes sense, it, to, to the extent yeah. that sinful is a concept that applies in Buddhism, but you get what I mean. Uh, I would almost say like uh, the Romans had this word it was scalera. It's, it's not just crime. It's not just violation of your principles. There's a filthiness to it. Yeah. There's a staining that happens. And here's the thing. There, yeah. there, is, there is imagery in the dialogue mm-hmm. in Jidai Geki movies that consistently comes up that talks about, I'm living in a blood-soaked world. There's, mm-hmm. there's you know, no matter how, how hard I wash, I'll never be able to get the blood out from under my fingernails. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, and they, and it's, it's. It's never stated as, you know, Lady Macbeth, my God, you know, the spot, the spot, out damn spot. Right. It's no matter how hard I scrub, I'm never going to get the blood out from under my fingernails. Right. It's, it's world weary and this, this is who I am. I am flawed, but I can still do the right thing. Okay. So there's an, ex- you have to accept it in order to go and protect those that you can't help but be attached to. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And and so this this idea of a cynical mercenary with a heart of gold mm-hmm. is is a is one of the foundational tropes of Jidai Geki because the audience mm-hmm. the audience were Buddhists right and they understood the dichotomy inherent in the hero's very existence. Uh-huh. Lucas never got that memo. <laughs> okay, the Jedi. He saw the dichotomy as being outside of you, not within you. The dichotomy is outside of you, and the the duality, Mm -hmm. there is this Manichaean quality Mm -hmm. to the duality. There is God, there is anti-God. There is, you know, light and dark are... Right. Because because he didn't pay any fucking attention to Taoism, 
which says light and dark are two halves of the same coin. They can't right. be separated. They're not in opposition. They're aspects of each they other. They are aspects of one another. And in the yin-yang symbol, right. that's symbolized the by the fact that there's yeah. there's a dot in each one representing the other one. They are they are inseparable. They are within one another. Right. But when you take a Western Judeo-Christian Manichaean mindset, you get TNC surf. Shock. Well, yeah, right. You just you just appropriate the symbol and don't understand the meaning behind right. it. Yeah, nicely done, by the way. <laughs> now, I I could get into talking about Pure Land and Nichiren Buddhism as reactions to this spiritual tension. Okay, but Lucas never fucking bothered, so I don't know why I should. Well, well, he does bother <laughs> later though, because well, he doesn't. Uh, Disney does because yeah. they talk with Ray doing the thing. The fort. Am I getting ahead? No, of you? no, oh, okay. not at all. The no, force I, I think. Uh, has a tension, and and Luke updates the force, and he has separated from the force. She even says, "You've cut yourself off from the force." Yeah. Um, and he finally part dies reason, with part peace of the reason, and purpose. Part of the reason mm-hmm. I love that fucking movie so yeah. much is because whoever wrote it went, "Okay, no, <laughs> like, okay, yeah. all right." You didn't do your fucking homework. I'm doing your homework for you. We're going to fix this. Right. We're going to redo this assignment. We're going to make this work. Which, by the way, the mosaic in the pool right before you get out to that ledge is the yin and yang. Yeah. Basically. It's Star yeah, Wars yin and yang. Star Wars, Star Wars yin and yang, yang. But that's what it is. Yeah. And so from Lucas, mm-hmm. we get box top Buddhism. Mm-hmm. It has all the emphasis on detachment from emotional concerns, mm-hmm. all the monastic urges. I've got to be separate from the world. I got to, you know, purity of purity of my thought. I can't be attached to anything. <sighs> but with none of the emphasis on compassion, genuine pacifism, and straight up justice, we're not here to free slaves. Well, you know, like I- like the most damning fucking line <laughs> in that whole trilogy. Right. Wait. No, you're supposed to be the guardians of peace and justice. Uh-huh. You're telling me slavery is not enough of an injustice for you to like like generations mm-hmm. of of Jedi Geki actors. Right. Like spun in their graves. <laughs> because no, that's not what a Jedi Geki hero would do. That's not what a Jedi Geki hero would say. Right. That's not what a Jedi should fucking say. But Lucas didn't do his homework. Non-attachment. We can't get involved in this. We got to look at the bigger picture. The bigger picture is that we got, you know, these millions of people. We're going to get utilitarian with this. Right. Utilitarianism and Buddhism. No. Like they don't work together. I would point out George Lucas was born and raised in Modesto. Yeah, okay. Modesto is the Central Valley. Yes. Central Valley uh, is very different than the left coast. Central yes. Valley is it's transplants Kansas. from Kansas, mm-hmm. uh, Arkansas. Texas. Uh, yeah, and Texas. Oklahoma. And Oklahoma. Yeah. Uh, they're transplants from it, uh, and they brought with them their uh, Midwestern culture, yeah. their Midwestern ideology yeah. about God will come and pluck the good ones up, Mm-hmm. And leave the rest of us sinners to burn. Mm-hmm. Uh, so God is imminent, not eminent. Nice in their thank you yeah. uh, in their religion. And you and I talked last season in the wrestling one about the bloodletting that happens yes. in the South as far as religion goes too. Yeah. Uh, and the result is you have that plus about forty years, so two generations later, and George Lucas is growing up in that culture. Yeah. So that culture 
is going to give him a lens through which he can see Buddhism. So even if he had done his homework, mm-hmm. it's entirely possible. He still would have screwed it up. He, Yeah, because, yeah. I mean, he, he couldn't help but do that because of the lens that he had in front of him, because of the region that he came from. You know what a sucker I am yeah. for regionalism. Yeah. Uh, because of the region that he came from and because of their ideology about essentially predestination. Yeah. Um, and, you know, what later becomes destiny and stuff like that. Yeah. So, no, we're not here to free the slaves because that's their destiny. True. Now, it... And also, I have my job to do. Yeah. And there is that Midwestern, you know, they, they don't like you, but they'll give you the shirt off their back. You yeah. Know, like uh, from, yeah. From, from, I think it's Oklahoma. The music Man. Yeah, The Music Man, that's what it yeah. is. Um, and uh, because I have a friend who loves The Music Man, and she quotes yeah. that to me all the time. Um, but, uh, this idea of, I got to take care of mine and my clan Mm. comes from borderland thinking from Scotland. Yeah. Uh, because the laws are, are, are set up by those in power. Counterculture is now clannishness. Yeah. Counterculture is now, I got to be loyal to mine. And Qui-Gon Jinn is absolutely an expression of that. Told from George Lucas, having been born in Modesto, having been raised by people who probably were yeah. transplants from a borderland area, which had been previous, and, and on and on and on. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that's a compelling explanation for, for a big part of where this is coming from. Yeah. Definitely. Um, now, some samurai stories make these same mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a very notable, one of my favorite stories actually out of Lone Wolf and Cub. Okay. Which is a long running manga series mm-hmm. that's, that there's been a whole bunch of movies made of also live action films, which is about a, a, a wandering Ronin and his toddler son. Okay. And he pushes the kid around in a cart and it's, it's ridiculous over the top, crazy. And he, he is one of the most cynical and one of the most jaded and, mm-hmm. you know, he's, he's an assassin for hire character. And at one point, he actually gets hired by a local lord to kill a Buddhist, a living Buddhist saint. Mm-hmm. Because the Buddhist saint is, is kind of acting as a, a leader of the people okay. in, a, in a resistance about taxes. Okay. And he keeps coming to the Lord saying, you got to lower the taxes for the people. And the Lord is like, I'm trapped. The Shogun is telling me what I got to charge for taxes. I can't do anything about it. And as long as he's around here, keeps coming to me saying, I got to lower the taxes. The people are rallying behind him and I'm, I'm stuck. So you're a Ronin. You've got no station in, in the world. I need you to kill Kill this fellow. I I need him. I need him ended and you can kill him, get out of here and Mm -hmm. you know, I'll pay you and nobody has to know about it. And our, our hero is really conflicted. Right. Because on the one hand, he's got to stay alive. He's got to keep body and body and mind, body and soul together. He's got to support his, his toddler son. Right. Um, on the other hand, he has to look on the his other son hand, in the face. On, yeah. And, and on the other hand, this is, this is literally a, a living saint. And he actually winds up encountering the saint who tells him, mm-hmm. if on the road you should encounter the Buddha... Mm-hmm. Kill him, which is taken out of Buddhist scripture, but is being used completely out of context wow. in that passage. What it's supposed to be about is 
one of the challenges we have to face is if we're too focused on achieving Buddhahood, we're never going to get there. Right. You have to divorce yourself from the desire to achieve Buddhahood. Right. But in this case, it's no, no. If literally we're, put we're, an end we're, we're, we are, we are literally to the point where no, no, you have your karma. You have to live out. If that means you've got to kill me, because the, the saint knows exactly what he's talking to. He says, well, you know, I've got this friend who's in this dilemma. It's, stupid, wacky conversation. Like, obviously, we know what you're talking about. And and so the saint knows that he's saying, I've been sent to kill you. Right. What, 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 what should I do? And he says, if you've got to kill me, that's your karma. Kill me. You're going to have to deal with that like, later. Like, wow. And so they get it wrong, too, in the sense of, I need, I need to find a story to tell. Do they get you it know? wrong, or do they get it Christian? Um, isn't that... Judas and Jesus? Isn't that... Kinda. One of you is going to betray me? Mm-mm. No? The overtones are all very different. Okay. It would... It would I'd, I'd have to relay the whole, the whole plot line. Okay. But suffice to say, they... they even, even the writers who are doing this stuff in Japan who know, or mm-hmm. should know, mm-hmm. the, the you know, Buddhist philosophy behind it, they get it wrong, too. But... Not not in the way that Lucas did. Lucas codified all of this uh-huh. and then doubled down on it. Yeah, he crystallized it. He crystallized it. Yeah. And and in the prequels now, all of a sudden, we have the Jedi Order, right. which had been made canon thanks to other media. Mm-hmm. It got fully fleshed out based on the logical outgrowth of everything Lucas had set in stone before. Right. Okay. So... And, and childhood apprenticeships, monastic trappings without genuine monasticism because it's boring. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. Yeah. And legal, this is an important thing, legal authority as a quasi-official arm of the Republic Senate. Right. Now, that's all bothersome, but the last part is a relic of a Westerner not being able to reconcile wandering swordsmen with the idea of a stable government. Right. Never mind the example of every Western like ever. Yeah. Or the historical example of actual Ronin in Edo period Japan. Somehow there had to be an order, and that order had to have official authority. And that order is simultaneously moralistic mm-hmm. and morally bankrupt. It is. The dark side is inherently evil. Right. Is a Western, I've already said it, Manichaean dualistic idea utterly alien to Eastern philosophy. Mm-hmm. And we didn't come here to free slaves. Right. Is a disservice to real Buddhists who have literally died for the freedom of the oppressed. Right. It turns the Jedi into dicks. Yeah, quite handedly, too. And... Yeah. Take well, it away. <laughs> the Jedi had it coming. The Jedi had it coming. 100% true. The uh, Jedi had it coming for a number of reasons. One, they run an underground adoption ring. Okay. Uh, they steal babies. Yeah. Like, there's no talk of, like, what an honor this is for the parents. There's no talk of anything other than, like, oh, we would have sensed him and brought him. Like, straight up. Like, uh, Obi-Wan. Not Obi-Wan. I'm sorry. Uh, Qui-Gon Jinn. Not only are we not here to free slaves, but, oh, here's a slave that actually serves our needs. Uh, you know what? Uh, we're going to take him with us. Uh, great. You're going to take his mom? No. Because, you know, attachment. And also, I don't, well, I don't, I don't have enough the money to, uh, to, 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 get to her. buy her. So I'm going to legitimize slavery a little bit more and yeah. gambling. I'm going <clears> to <throat> cheat at it. Yeah. Uh, which, by the way, slavery is legal on that, on that uh, planet. 
Therefore, he's in some ways uh, using the force to steal property. Yeah. Uh, which is its own problem. Uh, but they, we can get back to the, you know, and, and if they're legally the guardians of, of things, then they should be operating within the law. Mm-hmm. Uh, at some point in episode two, uh, Yoda says to bring uh, Jango Fett to the Jedi Temple for questioning. Yeah. Does not issue a bench warrant. Does not go to a judiciary branch. Uh, is operating. You know, here's a question. Do yeah. we ever see any kind of judicial branch in the in the old republic? It's mentioned. The courts take longer than the Senate to decide things. Right. And because because Lucas isn't at all like leaning toward any kind of fa- crypto fascist <laughs> right. kind of ideas about, you know, right. strongmen in government. Well, and okay, let's take for a second that he's actually saying that this is a corrupt republic and it's collapsing from within and therefore okay. that's given birth to that. Fine. You still have a self-appointed group of religious zealots who have access to a power that no one else has access to, and that becomes the basis for their authority, to kidnap a man and bring him to church. Okay. That's that's how they get Django. I'm, well, okay. Django. I'm, I'm going I'm I'm to yeah. hold you up for a second. Sure. Because I'm a medievalist and a Catholic. Mm-hmm. Where's the problem here? <laughs> like, well, are you saying church authority doesn't extend to, to enforcing their own law? Like... Uh, you could make the argument that within their own property, yes, but you can't go grab people and then bring it to your own property and then go, oh, keepsies. Yeah, doesn't, doesn't work that way. Um, okay, you're a heathen, whatever. Yeah, a yeah, little bit. Uh, <laughs> I just happen to believe that you don't separate <laughs> families from their children because of a self-appointed group who are a gendarme of the current administration. Okay, yeah. And and there we can agree. Yeah. Deeply. So they go so, to kidnap a man. Yeah. And uh, he fights back. Right? Yeah. Rightly so. Yeah. Because uh, he knows who the Jedi are. He's already dealt with Lord Tyrannus. Yeah. Uh, and he knows that they steal children. And he has a child. And he knows that if he's gone, then they could pick up his child and do whatever they want with it. Okay. So he fights. Uh, keeps his freedom. Uh, the Mandalorians are their own problem. They yeah. are every libertarian's wet dream, uh, and so they are definitely their own problem. Uh, their own problem, but in this case, they're correct. It's kind of like when my two least favorite teams play. I root for injuries. Yeah. Um, but the, uh, I mean, I actually yeah. don't. I don't want these people not to be able to feed their families. But Django fight. Django fights back hard. Yeah. Uh, and and beats a Jedi, uh, showing actually that the Force ain't all it's cracked up to be. It's not this amazing thing. It just makes you. A little better at jumping and running and faster at things, and you mm-hmm. get to use a cool sword. But a guy in armor in the rain can beat your ass. Which is kind of interesting. So it makes me wonder if the Jedi aren't vulnerable to the rain because Jango loses his head on Geonosis. Okay, meaningful point. Yeah. Uh, right. So, uh, yeah, the Jedi absolutely have it coming uh, because they kidnap children, because they kidnap adults, uh, because they're trying to enforce their own rules. Uh, but more importantly, they have it coming because they can't do a head count. It's <laughs> weird because they have a thing for cutting off heads. Yeah. But they can't do a head count. Like, there's a prophecy that straight up says there will be one who is born and he will be able to bring balance to the force. Yeah, there's two Sith. And how many thousands Jedi, of Jedi. How many Jedi we got? Thousands. Yeah. So either a bunch of them have to convert... Or you have to kill it off all the way down to two. 
There's really bad odds <laughs> for everybody. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, it's not a, not a pretty picture for and anybody involved. So, so on top of so you got that. So then instead of like, okay, they already proved that they kidnap children, that they kill the parents of the children, that they do that. If they were smart and ruthless, because they are ruthless, uh, they have very little Ruth. Uh, but if they're smart... Not even baby Ruth? Not even baby Ruth. Okay. No, no. Uh, they're, they're a bit Deborah-y, okay. but they're not very ruthful. Nice. Uh, thank you. Nice. Um, but they, if they were smart, they would kill the child. Mm. Because he's going to bring balance to the force. You're winning, dude. <laughs> and you're supposedly the good side. Yeah. Good is dumb, uh, to quote Thank you, Lord Helmet. Helmet. Yes. Uh, so not dark only Helmet. that. Or Dark Helmet. Yeah. Or you have to corrupt the light so that the light and the dark are indistinguishable from each other, which totally makes sense to me because the Sith never lie. The Jedi always lie. Mm. So it seems to me that they're trading places. Yeah. The ends are justifying the means for the both of them. Yeah. Uh, and then on top of that, they I mean, they have a slave army that they have manufactured yeah. for them, the clones. Yeah. That they stole. Obi-Wan shows up and they're like, oh, you must be here for it. He's like, of course I am. Thank you. I'm going to now take it now, here's and use it thing. improperly and kill thousands accidentally. Yeah. Well, here's, here's, here's what I'm going to point out, though. Uh-huh. That particular moment mm -hmm. uh, is... So incredibly true to the experience I've had playing the Star Wars role playing game. <laughs> like, like that is that also is such true. a player character move. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you must yeah. be here for the shipment. Of course I am. I totally am. Yep. The shipment. <laughs> the shipment I'm here for. Cusco's shipment of the things. Yeah, <laughs> of the stuff from the people. Yeah. So yeah, they can't do a head count. They yeah. steal slaves. Yeah. They steal slaves again yeah. en masse. Uh, and, and in their inability to do a head count, they don't kill the one person that could actually bring their order down. Yeah. Uh, and if you're going to take this kid and he's going to bring balance to the force, maybe don't give him such an easy mommy issue to have him be <laughs> that easily <laughs> manipulated. Yeah. Like just once make an exception and yeah. take his mom... And yeah. give her an apartment across town and give him visitation. If he's so fucking special, let him visit his mama in an apartment across town every weekend. And then he'll be better adjusted since you already took him too late and you admitted it. Yeah. And, and you had him watch a horrific murder and participate in uh, essentially uh, corporate espionage mm. um, at the age of eight. Uh, doing all that, you might as well keep his moral compass nearby instead of be like, ah, you know, tough rocks, kid, you know? Yeah. And, and when you grow up and get older, you, we're going to not supervise you so that then you can go and find her and just in time for her to die. And then you're going to slaughter a whole village of people. Yeah. Which frankly is the most Jedi thing that Anakin had done to that point. Mm. So yeah, the Jedi 100% had it coming. They yeah. they deserved everything that they had coming to them. There were no innocent Jedi. The only innocent people were the janitors that might have gotten killed when they uh, were purged. Uh, but the the Jedi are are horrifically evil mm -hmm. for the universe. They even plotted taking over the Senate at one point. Yes. Uh, they also went in and again, so stupid. Um, they went in and they went to attack the uh, the the chancellor. Yeah. 
he had his powers legally. Like, yeah, it's unfortunate, yeah. but those were legal powers. There is a structure in place that you can go to do this, and they flat out said, oh, we don't have time for that. Since when? Yeah. You let a war drag on for 10 years. Yeah. I mean, granted, it's only your slaves that have been manufactured for the war, so it's no big deal. And on top of that, they bring the B squad. <laughs> <laughs> That's not so good. Uh, and then on top of that, they never actually read the orders. Order 66 should not have been a surprise to them. No. It was a contingency order. Hey, wait a minute. There's Order 65 and Order 67. Yeah. What? What? Can yeah. Can I get a, a non-redacted copy of this? Maybe. <laughs> you know? Like, so, uh, yeah. yeah, no, I'm sorry. That's that's uh, that's, that's eyes only for... Yeah. You know, uh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm on the Jedi Council. Yeah. Like, yeah. there's not really anybody here that outranks me. I need to see this. Yeah. I am a general. I, I'm... Yeah. So... What the hell? That's up. Yeah. So, yeah, they absolutely had it coming. Yeah. Uh, and it looks like they had it coming because they're an outcropping of what a uh, Central Valley person thought Buddhism was going to be. Yeah. And and so the Jedi didn't have to wind up like this. They're, they're at the at the end of uh, A New Hope. Mm-hmm. They were one thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and it was it was taken from source material yep. that was very heavily, of course, influenced by Zen Buddhism mm-hmm. and all this stuff. But but then George mm-hmm. uh, never bothered to learn more than the chapter headings of the Cliff's Notes of Zen Buddhism. And he decided, well, no, I've got to flesh this out now. Mm-hmm. And his his preconceived notions and his... Uh, dualistic view of the universe. His his these not dualistic, dichotomatic. Okay, yeah, yeah di- dichotomatic. Dichotomy, dichotomatic. His dichotomatic view of the universe. His his all of his particular brand of Judeo Christian uh, uh, baggage. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying this as devout Catholic. I don't mean baggage in a, in a with a negative connotation. I just mean all of the preconceived notions and all the biases that he had because of that Yep. basically meant that, and and him not doing his goddamn homework, meant that when he tried to build out from there, he was Mm -hmm. using all the wrong parts. Yeah. And and what he wound up building was an an order of, of, as you say, people who, who essentially are... Are villains. They're yeah. they're they're at best anti-heroic. Yes. And they're not even really anti-heroic, because Anakin is an anti-hero who right. f- who falls, and the idea of falling is mm-hmm. an inherently Judeo-Christian falling from grace kind of idea that also yeah. doesn't really exist in Buddhism. I mean, the closest thing you have is in Eastern philosophy the idea that a demon mm-hmm. is a spirit who is somehow broken. Right. But there's not the same idea that, no, no, that is evil and this is good. Right. That's, that's a Judeo-Christian Western kind of, kind of dichotomatic mm-hmm. idea. Um, and, and so there is, there is a moral set of ideas within Eastern philosophy, but it doesn't have, it, it doesn't have the same, the same note of good versus evil. It right. has, it has more to do with in balance versus out of balance and, and compassionate versus not compassionate. Yeah. And, and yeah, I'm, I'm kind of wandering away from the field, but 
the Jedi didn't have to wind up this way. They wound up this way because George Lucas was cribbing things together and being lazy about it. And it is one of the things that makes me happiest about the new films yeah. is that people have actually taken that and gone, okay, maybe we can retcon this into something that makes people who use the force not necessarily have to be assholes. Yeah. So that's it. I like it. So having said all of that, mm -hmm. what does that leave you with as your parting thoughts on this? Um, I would push us back just a little bit in that a movie is not a philosophical treatise. A book could be. Okay. And since the original source material for this was movies, and since movies are almost always a snapshot in time of the time in which they were made, I don't know how fair it is of us to attack the movie's lack of understanding of Buddhism, which it cribs from. Mm -hmm. Considering that just 12 years earlier, the beats were cribbing from it without knowing shit about it either. True. Uh, so the culture, it, it's almost like this was an inevitable outcropping of the baby boomer generation. So I guess the real takeaway is the baby boomers ruined Star Wars before it even got to the theater. Wow. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> so. That's that actually manages to be even harsher than than my <laughs> my ending note, which I didn't know was doable, but there we go. There you go. Uh so baby boomers, if you understand what Twitter is, um <sighs> you can uh find either of us oh. on the Twitter at, at Geek History Time. And feel free to, uh, you know, at us. I'm at Duh Harmony on the Twitter. And I'm at E.H. Blaylock on the Twitters. So. So, yeah, look us up. Uh, tell me, tell me I'm wrong. Yeah. Tell me, I don't know, if you're, if you're an unabashed uh, uh, fanboy of, of everything that happened in, in Empire and, and so forth, uh, feel free to call me a cuck. Mm -hmm. I'm fine. I'm expecting that from at least, you know, a couple of quarters when, when, and if this gets heard by those people. Uh, and, uh, just so you know, I really enjoy, uh, the most recent movies and you mm -hmm. can die mad about it. Yeah. So you reading any books? Um, as we mentioned in our last, um, in our last episode, right mm -hmm. now I haven't had time. Okay. Um, I've so, got one I can recommend. Okay. It's called Traitor. And I believe it's called. It's by Matthew Stover, uh, and it is my favorite Star Wars book. Okay. It's in the middle of a series called uh, the. It's the Yuuzhan Vong series. Um, and yeah, right. well. correct me if I'm wrong about uh, the the author there, but uh, it's called Traitor, and it's about Jason Solo, who okay. is essentially the basis for Kylo Ren, and it is a okay. book that is entirely about existentialism. Okay. And I think if you built the Jedi around existentialism, you'd have a much more good-based group. Okay. Because there would be that stern optimism uh, that, uh, that Jason absolutely embodies there. But because okay. they are, as you said, they were mm -hmm. uh, poorly cribbed versions of Buddhists, uh, his idea of stern optimism, of having to make a choice... 
of having to endure the pain and choosing to do good or bad is considered to be that of the dark side. And he falls. Mm. He absolutely okay. falls. And he becomes the, the outline of Kylo Ren. Yeah. Uh, and uh, many, many books later, uh, he and his sister end up fighting uh, through another wonderful series. Uh, and she kills him because mm-hmm. he becomes the next Darth Vader. So, okay. Traitor by Matthew Storward. That's where his fall begins. Um, and it is a fantastic book as far as philosophy goes. Okay. Yeah. Existentialism is the key then. Yeah, I think so. All right. Yeah. Interesting. So. All right. Well, um, that's pretty much what we have for this episode. Great. Uh, and for A Geek History of Time, I'm Ed Blaylock. I'm Damien Harmony. I'm Joe Shark. And keep rolling 20s. Oh, D6s, because then you get the wild die. Right. And then... Get the explosion.